Hello, welcome to Fed Talks. I'm your host, EJ Fed Talks. How's everybody? Well, I mean, obviously, first off, I survived COVID. Um, I am testing negative. My lungs and throat are still kind of messed up from a week plus of hacking and coughing and <laughs> fighting for air. So, uh, but I made it. Um, I was debating whether or not to tell some COVID stories, but uh, uh, it's boring. I talked about myself. Too. I mean, I'm, what, what else am I going to talk about on a podcast with just me? But you, you've heard enough. You don't need to hear more about me and COVID. I will just say I had really bad brain fog, and uh, I was still getting my steps in every day because the Fitbit is a cruel mistress. And uh, so I went out for a walk uh, last Sunday when I was kind of in the full flower of of illness. That was a bad day because I sort of COVID stacked up with seasonal allergies in terms of preventing me from breathing and had kind of a, a scary uh, couple hours there. But, uh, you know, went out to get my steps and my brain just completely uh, like shut off as I was walking. And at, at like by the time I realized... I had sort of lost track of my surroundings and I didn't know where I had walked to. <laughs> like, I walked from my house, so I couldn't be that far, but it was at a place I'd never stood. And it turned out across a fairly busy road, and I do not know how I did that. So, healthy. Um, in in person, I say personal news, but it's me buying. It's. Uh, right now, I only have the one game, game series. It's great. It's bonkers. I'm a little worried about the... <laughs> anywhere. There's no context where I can use it. Friends were trying to make a... Uh, we we're going to make a fake documentary about competitive rock papers champion who was corrupt. I beat, and he's trying to... Like, I beat him so bad that he, he had a mental block and he couldn't do rock. We shot, like, uh, the rock stuff as we could, and it was super funny. A lot of it was improvised. And... But the conceit was there was a documentarian who was following them around his name was <clears throat> the less said the better uh and he inexplicit that makes you think he maybe has never heard a british person before like he might not know it's a real country uh uh when he introduces himself as a filmmaker and people say oh have you have you made anything i've seen and then he'll always have sort of like uh uh serious sounding documentaries uh, back in when Sam and I wrote, so I have audio of any of those shows. That might be a fun either of those. And then he'd sigh heavily and go. <sighs> and the best joke I ever, ever, ever written is Schlongs of Chicago, a documentary. That was in about 2000. Still seeing, seeing it written down. Uh, obviously, the thing I most want to talk about is the rehearsal. Uh, but I'm trying to write some piece of television and I still can't tell how much of it, what, was was a bit like you can't tell and when when the joke generations or he we were seeing genuine reactions from me like nathan or at least the version of nathan who is presented on tv uh i am similarly a weird man who's uncomfortable with emotions and will probably be alone forever uh man some of that was hitting me real hard like the season finale made me have a good premiere which is weird because it's so unconnected to the you know, it's it's the only standalone of the season. 
which probably is what you want to do with a with a premiere. But uh, uh, the takeaway everybody there had was that I could benefit from uh, from uh, one of Nathan's simulated realities to uh, uh, rehearse a, a necessary conversation. Uh, and the weird thing was they came up with two different things in my life where I could really use the help of Nathan Fielder, which, wow, <laughs> that's rough, man. Uh, but either I will write about it or talk about it next week or probably both. I'm trying to get my thoughts in order. Uh, maybe just a, a quick run through some other things I've been watching. Uh, Sandman on Netflix is... Uh, I, like I, I I said before it premiered, so I'm just proving my bias. Uh, it does not connect with me the way it did when I was a sad high school senior slash college student. Uh, it's still a, a thing that I admire very much, and I think it's impressive, and I think the show is very well done. It's just very hard for me to... Uh, it's so connected to a past version of me that I can't, I can't wholeheartedly embrace it. It's more like I am watching with a degree of, of, a remove. That said, I do think it's, it's, it's genuinely really good. Uh, and I think especially if you aren't familiar with the comic, it will maybe kind of blow you away in some respects. Uh, one thing that's, we're, we're going to go heavy nerd for a minute here. Uh, you know, like my vanity plate says, heavy nerd. Um, the the thing that I kind of forgot, and it only uh, jumped out to me because of its its absence in the Netflix series, is how weirdly tied to mainstream DC continuity the actual Sandman comic was. You know, it was like this this brilliant award winning literary series that uh, uh, was still existed in the same world where where Batman lives, you know? Like, uh, uh, I mean, they really cut all of it out of the Netflix series. Uh, the one sort of artifact, John Constantine is, uh, who has had a TV show and a movie and uh, appears on the CW sometimes, is kind of a DC Universe mainstay. And even here they replaced him with Joanna Constantine uh, for whatever reason. But like... Uh, the bulk of the season is about about Dream trying to get back his items of power that were taken when he was imprisoned. And uh, <laughs> in the comic, he does get the Martian Manhunter to help him with that. <laughs> Which would be so funny if it happened on the Netflix show. This sort of moody tone piece and all of a sudden a shape-changing alien with pirate boots and short pants shows up. Hranmir's ghost! <laughs> um, and uh, like if you've seen the series you know the episode that that uh, really sort of uh, is maybe the standout the 24-7 uh, is what it's called in the show I think it was called 24 hours in the comic where this this guy just sits there and lets lives unspool around him in a 24 hour diner and it's uh <laughs> It, it sticks weirdly close to the comic and uh but in the comic the guy who did that is a Justice League villain from the 60s <laughs> like yeah that guy David Thewlis is playing is uh is Dr. Destiny 
And it's just it's just crazy to put it back in that context. Uh, the whole thing with Hector and Lita Hall is they are both former superheroes and that that story is really tied in with the Jack Kirby version of Sandman which is a absolutely bonkers hero and uh, the friend of the show Tim reminded me this week of how crazy that was and uh, you know it's this, this sort of deep cut character and it took very little spinning to turn it into horror, but that whole part of it is gone. And, you know, the connections to every other DC character has been named Sandman. And, uh, uh, like, there's legitimately, like, if you're watching the show, there's a lot of, there's things I don't want to spoil because if there are future seasons, they'll probably delve into this. Like, they have not named the Seven Endless yet. They've only named some of them on the show and only a, very small number have appeared uh but uh like they were all created by neil gaiman except for destiny who came from a series called weird mystery tales uh in fact there's i think there's three characters in the show who hosted dc anthology books they were like the dc crypt keeper but uh destiny is a man in a hood who walks around carrying a book that contains everything that has ever happened and ever will happen but Canonically, the challengers of the unknown do not appear in that book, so Destiny can't see them. And that's there another more Jack Kirby characters, these crazy ass uh, old characters where they were just these guys who survived a plane crash, and since they should be dead, they might as well risk their lives all the time. And it's just straight up bonkers. And the you know it's such a thin premise, but it it is canon to Sandman that the challenges of the unknown are invisible to destiny because they should have died so they don't appear in his book. <laughs> That's very funny to me. It's it's ridiculous how uh yeah, how tied in it is uh I mean, w without spoiling anything, uh years after the series ends, we'll say that. Uh uh Dream has a successor and he helps Superman and Green Lantern fight Starro the Conqueror. <laughs> and if all of this were in the Netflix show, it would be way better. But uh, it's good. It, I recommend it. It is weird that it's still... Uh, these were issues that came out in the, in the late 80s. And they've updated to be set in 2022, but it still feels like it's set in the 80s. And I think it would almost work better as a period piece because it just, it doesn't quite feel modern even when they remind us that it is. Uh, that's my one, my, I mean, I've, I have minor, I've addressed them. I have minor quibbles, but that's, that's the only thing. It's, it's real good. Check it out. And then they put out a, a surprise episode uh, that adapted two of the, the, uh, kind of beloved single issues uh they're sticking pretty close to the comic which means uh next season would probably be seasons of mists which is the one where uh uh lucifer closes down hell and that introduces the dead boy detectives who have already appeared on the doom patrol <laughs> this is ridiculous uh as long as I'm talking DC, 
I'm not going to get into it this week, but the whole craziness at Warner Brothers slash HBO Max where they killed a $90 million Batgirl movie and they've also canceled now a Batman animated series that was in development from Bruce Timm and J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves. Like, you know, Bruce Timm who created the Batman animated series that uh, 30 years later is still sort of a touchstone for the character and then the guy who made the current... Uh, massive hit Batman movie and J.J. Abrams who's kind of the golden boy and HBO just went eh, these people make the Batman show people aren't going to watch that it's crazy and I feel like it's a Hudsucker proxy thing where an executive is trying to devalue the company uh, but I'll uh, I also when I sw- start doing my, my guest episodes with the new format uh, Mindy and I talked a little about this on an upcoming episode that's right I've spoiled a guest it should not be a surprise since I only know about six people and uh, she's one who's been on the show previously. So uh, you're you're wrong to be surprised. But man, I'm rambling. Uh, uh, sticking in the, the Warner Brothers family, though, Game of Thrones House of Dragons premiered. You know what? Pretty good. I think I am going to stay away from any online discussion because uh, both the people who like Game of Thrones too much and the people who got mad at the show are both really hard to take. And I just want to watch it and enjoy it. And maybe I will talk about it with my friend Becky, who I watched the pilot with. And uh, yeah, it's it doesn't have the punch of the original series where the, the pilot opens with white walkers and ends with a boy getting shut, tossed out of a window because he witnessed incest. But, uh, the setup is, is interesting. Uh, it's kind of a big risk. I mean, it's about the Targaryens who, you know, uh, Daenerys is one of the main characters of the original series, but this is, specifically 170 years before she's born so it's not even like the Targaryens who of of days gone by who were referenced in the original series this is a whole uh new batch which I guess just means there's plenty of open room for stories uh and the they do a good job of setting up characters I'm kind of interested to watch I have already assuming that the current king is going to die before the end of the season because that dude keeps cutting himself on the throne. Uh, They seem to make a very... Which is very funny considering that it is a throne made of swords. It's a miracle anybody ever sits on that without dying. And he, yeah, he he injures himself badly on the throne twice in one episode. Uh, It's a little more tasteful. Like, you know, Game of Thrones sort of and it did get uh, uh, scaled back as the series went on, but especially initially, it sort of had a reputation for fairly graphic sex. And there is a sex scene, but by Game of Thrones standards, it's pretty, pretty tame. Uh, and there's an orgy, which again, by their stand, I mean, it, you just mostly see bodies cavorting in the background, but uh, I feel like if this were the original series, you would have seen on-screen fisting in that scenario. Um, it's super cool to see Matt Smith 
Uh, the 11th Doctor uh, is kind of a badass. That's fun. Um, it's, it's, to me, I think it's worth watching. Again, I'm not going to really engage with fandom on it because that'll ruin it in either direction. But uh, yeah, House of the Dragon's got a thumbs up. Uh, House of the Dragon got a thumbs up from me. Uh, and if anybody watched it who does want to answer a question I have, uh, they make sort of a big point about how the Targaryens are the always have silver hair and they're the only ones with silver hair. So the fact that the king and queen both have silver hair means they are blood relatives, right? I That's what I should be taking from that. Uh, they didn't specifically say it, but... You know, I, I didn't even make that connection until Becky pointed it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's their cousins or something. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's some, man, there's some brutal fights in it, too. There's some faces getting bashed in. Uh, not really a standout. You don't have like a Tyrion or somebody who really pops in the first episode. But uh, a lot of good performances is where you go, okay, I could see if that character becomes a thing. So yeah, thumbs up for House of the Dragon. Uh, one I'll just get to quickly. Maybe I'll talk more about it next week. The first episode of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. You know what? This uh, Marvel show with Hulk's cousin, Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. I thought the first episode was great fun. It's really funny. Uh, you know, Hulk kind of putting her through her paces and trying to train her and... Uh, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Tatiana Maslany is a fantastic actress, and it's 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 good to see her get a, a big high profile thing like this. That lets her really really do something interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I had a and the fact that it's going to be a legal comedy is very funny. Uh, the effects I think look better than what we saw in the trailer. Uh, you know, doing full-time Hulk effects on a TV series is going to look a little jankier than the movie, but I, it's certainly nothing anybody should be embarrassed about. Uh, I thought this looked quite good. Um, and I, it's getting a lot of hate because it essentially acknowledges that uh, it's very hard to be a woman in the world and they may live with a, a fair degree of well-earned and honest anger. Uh, because honestly, I say this as a nerd, nerds are the worst and they don't like any show or piece of content that isn't about somebody who's exactly like them. So as soon as you have a woman or somebody who's not white as the lead, people turn on it right off the bat and that sucks and I hate it. But I think regular people seem to enjoy it. Uh, and Kind of like Ms. Marvel, nerds were down on that because she's she's a girl and she's uh she's uh oh my god uh she's Iranian, right? I was gonna say Pakistani, I knew that wasn't right, and I I hope this doesn't make me racist. I just couldn't remember. Uh she's you know my point is uh the girl of Middle Eastern heritage, yeah, that really raised nerd hackles. Nerds suck, man. We're the worst. Like, uh... Like, I'm not great, but I'm one of the better nerds. Uh, 
boy, I had a couple other things I wanted to to talk about, but I can't think of them now. And we're getting to the point when I need to get to the franchise report. Uh, this week, this was an exciting week in Marvel, Black Panther. That you know what, Black Panther is not one that I come back to a lot. Uh, part of it is honestly. Uh, my favorite Marvel series of all time is a run of Black Panther. It's the one from uh, uh, started in 99 or 2000 under the Marvel Knights banner. Uh, Christopher Priest wrote it. Uh, Mark Texier on art initially. It went through some artists before it ended with uh, uh, Sal Valuto, who did most of the run. It is it is tremendous. It's a political thriller. It's It's the reason there is a Black Panther movie. Uh, now it introduced uh, Everett Ross and the Dora Milaje and uh, kind of set up the Wakanda that's in the movie but it just put Black Panther back on the radar he was not anything at the time he would show up in Avengers sometimes you know Black Panther was 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 not a thing and uh, uh, Priest put him back on the map and that is maybe my favorite Marvel Marvel series ever. And so, like any time Black Panther's not just like that version, uh, it, it's a little bit of a leap for me because I I found my ideal Black Panther. And this is, the characterization uh, is more from the Reginald Hudlin series that followed, followed Priest. Uh, uh, and if you're a podcast nerd, you probably heard uh, Scott Ackerman talking about this on, I think it was on Scott Hasn't Seen in the last couple of weeks, but he likes the Reginald Hudlin run better than the Priest run, and he's crazy. I'm not going to agree with him on that. Come on, Scott. Uh, it, you know, and I sort of like where he was a little more, he was a little more aloof, and uh, uh, it was more of a political thriller. Uh, which is not, you know, Chadwick Boseman's performance is so good. Uh, I, the the version of Black Panther that's there is very appealing, but I just, it was just kind of a jump for me to, uh, you know, it was a different Black Panther, and there's and and there's not many Marvel characters where that bothers me. I, I shouldn't even say bother. It's not like I held it against them. I just. Look, I have a specific take on Black Panther that I enjoy, and this was different. Uh, but, they, man, it's good. It's fun to watch. There's, there's a, you know, the end kind of, it gets kind of boring at the end. Like the, the big, and maybe it's because of all the Bonds I've been watching lately. But Faceless Army versus Faceless Army, where you occasionally cut away to see what the characters you care about are doing, is uh, I'm real sick of. And that, you know, the big battle at the end, unless you cut to uh, uh, like Nakia or, or T'Challa, it's I don't really care. Like when Black Panther takes down a rhino, that's awesome. But when it's just groups of people in different colored clothes hitting each other, it's not super fun anymore. Um, and, you know, the big fight at the end is two guys in the same costume falling through kind of a CGI space. 
which I think is where the movie falls down a little, but there's so much good stuff before that. Uh, I kind of wish it had been more of a, a uh, it had been more Bo- James Bondy, like the, the Korea stuff I think is fantastic. I would seeing more of that would have been very fun. Uh, yeah. Killmonger is one of the best villains they've had. It's, it's good. I don't engage with it emotionally as much as I maybe should because, you know, Chadwick Boseman passed away and that effectively means T'Challa's story is over. So I'm not, I'm watching it now and not viewing him as a continuing character, which I realize is how you watch most movies. But, you know, Marvel is not that the same model as most movies. And, and I don't know, I just sort of get a little... In knowing that that character won't get satisfying story closure. Um, and, yeah, the sequel's coming out this year, and the the supporting characters are good enough, you can do a movie about them. But, you know, T'Challa is the one I'm kind of emotionally bought into, and... Uh, you know, it 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 is sad. It was it's a hard situation. I know there's a lot of people online, including apparently Chadwick Boseman's family, who think they should have just recast and kept the character the same. And boy, that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, uh, they haven't done that much recasting in Marvel, and it would be a bummer if two of the most prominent ones were black actors. Because it sort of gives the impression of interchangeability that I think is troubling. But, you know, because they replaced Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle. But then by the same token, it's not like Edward Norton is showing up in She-Hulk, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, and I'm not accusing them of, of, uh, of uh, the one black actor is the same as another. Like, there were actual issues with Terrence Howard and Edward Norton. Uh, to me, it feels a little more respectful to not recast him uh, and, and move the story from there. It's it's a bummer, but it's not the saddest thing about a man passing away, you know. Uh, I will say, based on the, the trailers for the sequel, the new Black Panther definitely appears to be a woman. And everybody seems to think it's Shuri, and I hope it isn't Shuri. Uh, I kind of like her character just being what she is, sort of the, you know, the smart-ass lab nerd. But also that actress is a big anti-vaxxer, and I don't want her joining the Avengers. Uh, I would like it much better if it were Okoye or Nakia who becomes uh, the Black Panther. And I don't even think Lupita Nyong'o is, has been announced for the sequel, so it's probably not Nakia, but that would be a great surprise. That'd be awesome. So, yeah, I would rather be one of those. But, look, we'll deal with that when it gets closer. Uh, next week is Infinity War. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, more Wakanda, more Guardians, more Thor, more Spider... More of everybody except Ant-Man and Hawkeye. Uh, but, you know what? For me, the big one this week is my James Bond movie, which was 1995's GoldenEye! Hell, yes. Uh, this represents the longest break in between Bond movies. Uh, uh, six years since the last Timothy Dalton one. 
there was a lot of legal stuff going on and then the recasting and blah, blah, blah. I love GoldenEye. It, it, it might change when I get to rewatching the Craigs. I could see Casino Royale re- taking the top spot, but uh, absent that, GoldenEye's my favorite Bond movie. It's awesome. It's Pierce Brosnan, and, and again, in the cold, hard light of day, Daniel Craig may take this, but Brosnan's kind of my Bond. Like, I mean, just just for context, this is the first Bond movie I saw in theaters. Uh, you know, I didn't go to the, like, the Timothy Dalton ones. I didn't. Oh, this one came out when I could drive, so that was obviously a, a big thing. And like a lot of guys who are into James Bond that are my age, it's because it was something they shared with their dad. And my dad uh, does not really enjoy anything. Uh, so we certainly never shared any pop culture stuff like that. Uh, so it's not you know, it's not like he was taking me to see License to Kill. Um, and I saw it a bunch of times in college. Uh I saw it on a date. And you know how many dates I went on in college? I think maybe just that one. I was cool. Uh, you know, part, and uh, I don't know. To me, Brosnan looks like looks like Bond. And and part of it, you know, I discovered a whole new affection for Roger Moore. But Roger Moore is in his fifties for a significant part of his run. He, you know. And he, some people are older in their 50s than, than others. Like Daniel Craig, you know, is mid-50s in No Time to Die. But uh, it it's like how William Hartnell is the same age as Peter Capaldi when they started playing Doctor Who. And William Hartnell looks like Peter Capaldi's dad. You know, that's just, some sometimes 55 is way older than 55, you know? It's the whole Wilford Brimley and Cocoon is the same age as Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, but yeah, he's... He, here's the thing is, I don't have a lot of affection for 80s action movies. Mostly because I didn't see them at the time. Like, my family did not go to movies. If you if you don't count, like... A, uh, like Disney Disney vault re-releases that my mom would take us to during the summer when she couldn't deal with us anymore. Uh, you take the the Disney, take out Disney and Star Wars, and you could probably count the number of movies I saw as a as a child in theaters. Uh, you know, on on your fingers. It just didn't happen, and we lived so far out in the sticks. It wasn't like I could ride my bike to a movie theater. I would have had to ride 12 miles down the busiest street in Grand Rapids, uh, and then turn onto the other busiest street in Grand Rapids. Uh, so it, you know, it just wasn't. And I certainly, I think I've talked about this before. The first R-rated movie I ever got to see in a theater was JFK, which my mom took me to when I was 16. So, you know, I was not getting in to see Predator or anything. Uh, so, and then, I, you know, I didn't really see them until I, I go back and watch them as a, uh, like when I was in college was when I tried catching up on a lot of that stuff. And, you know, a lot of it was already kind of past its time by then. And, like, you know, you have affection if you see these things at a certain age. 
But when you come into it after that age, it's very, and the seams are starting to show, you, you don't really, uh, you don't really connect with it the same way that you would have. So I, you know, the, I think that's, uh, the Dalton movies try very hard to be 80s action movies. And, uh, but they're also still in the Roger Moore mo mode a little, which is, is the part I like. Uh, whereas like 90s is when I really start clicking with with action movies and blockbusters. It's, once I turned 17, I saw every movie. Like I legitimately think from when I was 17 to maybe 19, I saw every major studio release. And so that's the stuff that's kind of uh, like my my North Star when it comes to not to say I'm stuck in the 90s, but that's that's what I have affection for is that era. Like Lethal Weapon 3 means a million times to me more than Lethal Weapon 1 does because I saw one of them in theaters 28 times. Uh, which is not to say either of them means a tremendous amount to me now, what with the whole Mel Gibson thing. Uh, but, you know, I think GoldenEye is kind of a good introduction of, of Bond to the 90s where... Uh, they sort of play with the idea and Pierce Brosnan is so damn charming. It doesn't, it doesn't really take hold, but that he's kind of a messed up guy. Like, uh, like, like Trevelyan asks him if, uh, you know, if he's haunted by all the men he's killed and if, you know, the women he seduces help drown out the screams of the ones he failed to save. And, you know, James Bond continuity is a shaky thing at best given that when this movie came out, he had apparently been an active field agent for 33 years. Uh, but it, it's, you know, you start questioning that rather than going, oh, it's, <laughs> it's awesome that Sean Connery is cold-bloodedly murdering people and then sometimes just straight up hitting women. Which, man, when you know Sean Connery actually hit his wife, any scene, any scene in the Connery movies where Bond hits a lady, it's always like, ugh. Like, doesn't feel like he apologized after they shot it, you know? Uh, so, like, like the Connery Bond, besides the fact that his movies are kind of boring, and I feel bad saying that, uh, except for You Only Live Twice, which I will watch one million times, uh, he's not a guy I like. Like, Roger Moore's pretty charming, and you go, okay, uh, like Pierce Brosnan's Bond is, I don't know, he feels more like a full character. He's got these, like they're trying to give him a personality that's that's developed beyond uh, he's a cool guy who gets the mission done. And I think it's a really good performance. It's so many just like iconic set pieces, like, uh, uh, Bond, the chase scene where Bond is driving a tank through Red Square is fantastic. And, like, this was the first time you could make that look good in a movie. And even two years later, it probably would have been all CG and it would have looked bad. So this is maybe the only time you could have that stuff look good. And it's so fun. Every action scene just, it's got maybe the best opening scene, which is an entire mini-mission that's really clearly defined. It's got that great bungee jump. It's got uh, the whole, the, the, the three-minute timer. It's got 
oh man, everything in it is great. I I love Goldeneye. I love it so much. Uh, to me, you can always tell when a movie really means something to you when you can remember the names of characters. Like, you know, outside of superhero names, a lot of times you just think of a character as their... James' uh, character, I think, is named Luther. So any other movie doesn't have a chance. Wade, that's right, Joe Don Baker, after being his legs eaten by a shark, starts as M, and it is explicitly is she is an established M and it's Bond's uh, uh, although once possibly because he knows I'm right uh, I don't have beef with Paul Shear. I love him he was maybe or I said my piece also directs Casino Royale which uh, uh, years ago it is wow this guy maybe he's my favorite director only a bad movie but it looks like shit so I can't crack the mystery of Martin Campbell but he did Goldeneye, and that'll get him into heaven. I love Goldeneye so much. Uh, first Bond movie with CGI, but that's just for the opening music, uh, the opening theme, uh, which is a little too gun fetish, fetishization-y for me, but that's just going to be a thing. Um, that's tremendous. I love all of it. Uh, uh, oh, and let's let's not e let's not even forget Famke Janssen as Zenya Anatop, who occupied most of my brain for 1995 and still very fun performance uh she did not get as famous as she deserved to and she still did pretty well i i shouldn't even be talking about it in the in the in the past tense she's around you'll see her she does stuff uh but she's uh she's she's very good uh, super fun one of the kind of one of the standout uh, villainesses of the series uh, I think uh, uh, Sean Bean's Trevelyan has has a clearer plan and motivation than most of the villains it's tremendous I loved watching Goldeneye so much and this I watched it so many times early pandemic and I was excited to watch it again this time oh man Goldeneye is the best uh, it's on sort of my, 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 like, my upper strata of action movies, quite frankly. I'd probably put, you know, with a John Wick, uh, definitely a Mission Impossible, but with four through six all being perfect, it's hard to pick which one. Uh, and then Crank 2, obviously. Uh, so I'm not sure the world is not enough is maybe next time. Uh, or Tomorrow Never Dies. I can't remember what order those come in. Either way, excited. I know we got a couple of rather uninspiring Bond girls coming up, but uh, I think there's other fun things happening. So let's embrace Pierce Brosnan. Uh, having a blast. Watching the Bond movies, best choice I've ever made. Rewatching, rather. You know what I mean. Okay, I talked about Goldeneye way longer than I planned to. Let's wrap this up. Uh, remember to check out teasebysummer.com for the best t-shirts and mugs. Uh, I've lost a lot of weight recently and I am reluctant to buy new clothes because I still think I'm going to put it all back on. The only thing I have bought in a smaller size now is I'm buying all the Tees by Summer shirts again because wherever my body finds itself, I want to be able to put on one of those great shirts. Uh, that sounded... That almost sounded sarcastic, but that's literally what I'm doing. 
uh, just absolutely the best. Uh, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna do better. Um, yeah, buy something. She's great. The shirts are great. Everybody wins. Uh, check out the apive.com. Uh, I will probably have something up about the rehearsal later this week. Uh, you can email the show at fedtalks at yahoo.com. Uh, Twitter at EJ Fettis. Instagram at EJ underscore Fettis. Uh, if you know my phone number, you can text me. Who knows? There's a lot of ways to get in touch with me. Uh, I survived COVID. I am invincible. Uh, which is the thing I say that is funny if you watched GoldenEye. Um, maybe next week I'll just watch GoldenEye again. That'll be the rest of the Bond Report is me just watching GoldenEye again every week. Uh, that's it for me. Sorry, I was going to do a short one and it ran long. I love you. Why did I say that? Oh my God, what is wrong with me? Bye. Fed Talks is a Faux Boys production. Wah, 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 wah.